many times have you thought about walking away from your whole life and responsibilities? Yellowstone National Park was created as the first national park in the United States. In 1872, there were no state governments to look after them like there is now. So the federal government took over and claimed finders keepers, just like they do with everything else that's not nailed down. Before they could get their grubby hands on everything else that was left over from the frontier, George Catlin suggested that the American Indian communities, wildlife, and wildernesses were all at risk of being taken by Vader and the Empire. But old George said that this could be stopped, not by a rebel alliance, but by some, oh wait, excuse me, by some great protecting policy of government in a magnificent park, a nation's park, containing man and beast in all the wild and freshness of their nature's beauty. So on August 25, 1916, after Stephen Mather and Robert Sterling Yard ran a publicity publicity campaign for the Department of Interior spouting the perks and benefits of what the parks could offer, President Woodrow Wilson signed the National Park Service Organic Act that mandated the agency to conserve the scenery and the natural and historic objects of wildlife therein and to provide for the enjoyment of the same in such a manner by such means as will leave them unimpaired for the enjoyment of future generations. All that sounds good, but today, children, I'm here to expose its real reason for the creation of the nationals, the national parks. From Yosemite to the Grand Canyon, there are some majestic parks and wildernesses across America. But ever since its inception, thousands of people have gone missing right in our own backyard. How can someone enter a protected land and just disappear? Because the National Park Service wasn't created to protect and preserve anything. Anytime you enter a national park, you actually stepped foot into an alien testing ground. Thanks to the Henry Convention of Henry Convention of 1993, all boundaries include state and national parks and the line to the bathroom at all Walt Disney theme parks. There's all, these are all constantly monitored using nanobot sensors that are spread all around the parks. These, nanobot, these nanobots scan and examine the humans that are just out on a stroll or a hike. And if they find one that fits their study parameters, poof, they're snatched right out of thin air. No, wait, that's, that's not the reason. I wonder if anybody believed me. I do want to talk about some people that have really went missing. Lost Souls, if you haven't heard the tale of the disappearances of Tom Young and Keith Reinhardt, then gather round, gather round. This is My Little Colt, a show that is still waiting on a crossover movie between MacGyver and the A-Team. We've toned it, we've toned it down a little bit for this episode. Past few have been in the hour time range, so and that, that's a long time to talk. And obviously I have a tarm, hard time with that, so we've tossed out all the science and, and data. That's just fills time anyway. Who needs it? Just a simple whodunit. If you like big chunks of uh, big chunks of knowledge, big girthy chunks of info, then go wrap your hands around um, any of my other past episodes. 
if you can't find anything interesting, then you might not be an interesting person. Today's service will cover the mystery surrounding two men, seemingly initially unconnected, but will end up in the same town, owning the same building where each ran a business, and both walking out into the Rocky Mountains from Silver Plume, Colorado, and never seen alive again. And if things weren't bad enough, one man, right before he vanished, began to obsess over the other's disappearance. He might have thought he was becoming this other man and needing to disappear as well. Did these men want to get away from it all? Why would someone run away if they're seemingly happy? My many questions still unanswered, and the family hasn't found any answers. They believe that there was foul play involved. Welcome back to the Kali Ma. Gather around the fire. This is a place where the curious can come calmly and contemplate characters, cases, crises, and calamities candidly or consciously. Cool. If you've never heard of the story of Keith and Tom's tragic adventures, then share the show with someone who joins, who enjoys a good mystery. But for now, let's settle in as we dive into the mysterious disappearance of Tom Young and Keith Reinhardt. In 1987, out in the Rocky Mountains in the small village of Silver Plume, Colorado, Tom Young closed up his shop, told a friend he was going out of town, left with his dog Gus, and was never seen again. Before he disappeared, he was featured on the local CBS station in a story about refurbishing a caboose of all things. You can see his black lab, uh, Gus, in some of the scenes. Not, not dead at all, alive and happy, not lying in a creek bed. Uh, Tom was known to be a recluse, but he did own a bookstore in town. There's not much more known about him. Any search of Tom on the internet will also bring the details of uh, the disappearance of the other subject of today's service, Keith. But what we do know is that Young disappeared on September 7, 1987. Do you guys know what the number one song of that year was? Woke like an Egyptian. Uh, Windows 2.0 was released that allowed uh, the use of over overlapping applications. But when I think of 1987, I think of the Topps baseball cards. Uh, you know, the one with the wood look around the edges. The ones with the uh, chewing gum inside the pack. Mm, that delicious, fresh, fresh um, chewing gum or whatever it was. Um, July 1988 the body of Young and his dog were found in Pendleton Mountain. Uh, they both had a bullet wound in their head, and Young's gun, not Young's, not Young Guns, was found next to uh, both bodies. Was there foul play involved? It doesn't look good. Authorities did rule Young's death as a suicide, but others don't believe he would have just shot his own dog. The gun they found next to the bodies were was too weathered and corroded, so it made it uh, difficult to run ballistic tests ballistic tests to determine if that was the gun that shot that killed uh, Tom and his dog, which got a bunch of people saying it wasn't suicide. But I don't believe um, it wouldn't be too strange except for the fact that he bought the gun four days before he vanished. Why would anyone want to run away or disappear? Why would Tom want to end his life? Uh, referring to a study called Geographies of Missing People, a study that interviewed people that had gone missing on their own and will return under their own free will or not. Um, the main drivers for someone to go missing 
are wide but include mental health crises, uh, drug and alcohol, uh, drug and alcohol issues, relationship breakdowns, dom- domestic abuse, debt, etc., etc. In some of the cases, the missing people said that they felt trapped both within their social situations and their physical location. Uh, the need to leave then was often expressed as a response to a period or situation where the person no longer felt able to cope. Maybe without the right support, uh, running away, you know, getting far, far away from all your responsibilities would require, would create time and a space to think. The small town of Silver Plume, Colorado, a town where you walk to the post office, of course everyone knows everyone else, not many secrets, snow in the winter, sunshine in the summer, It sits at an elevation of just over 9,000 feet and has a population of just over 200. Sounds like the ratio of days I've been single to not. This according to the town's official website, which has a banner that reads, Silver Plume, a great town to visit and not die or disappear in. No, it doesn't say that. It says something about being established in 1880, but it does also say this about the census. Population figure may include dogs, drop-ins, and ground squirrels. Not like ground-up squirrels, just like ground squirrels. Um, So even that population number might be fluffed up just a bit. Uh, Silver Plume is a home rural town located in Clear Creek County, Colorado, United States. Uh, It's a former silver mining camp along Clear Creek in the front range of the Rocky Mountains. The town is is part of the federally designed Georgetown Silver Plume National Historic District. Um, I know, right? I had no idea either. It consists of uh, Silver Plume, the neighboring town of Georgetown, and the Georgetown Loop Historic Mining and Railroad Park. Silver Plume is a very small rural mining town dating to the uh, back to the Colorado Gold Rush of the last four decades of the 19th century. In 1859, gold was discovered at the junction of Clear Creek and the Plate River near what is now Denver, I bet you they'd like some of that back after banning it all on Russell Wilson last year. Thousands of fortune seekers headed up Clear Creek into the Rocky Mountains seeking the veins of ore that were responsible for the nuggets and dust found in the waters of the creek. All those um, different people came together from different European countries and, of course, from all over the U.S. And for, you know, just a moment in time, Silver Plume was a multicultural and multilingual town where people from different backgrounds and different um, cultures, different languages, there's different beliefs, they all came together for one cause, to rip precious metals from the earth. Although gold was the original metal found in Silver Plume by 1864, some eagle-eyed entrepreneur noticed that the grayish rock everybody had been kicking around and, you know, shoveling into piles in the corner was actually silver ore. And the boom of uh, era, boom era for silver in Silver Plume began. The principal buyer of the silver was the United States government. Um, America's money at the time was based on uh, a bimetal standard standard of silver and gold. However, during the economic panic of 1890 economic yeah economic panic of 1893, the nation switched to the gold standard, and Congress revoked the uh, Sherman Purchase Act. So the Sherman Silver Purchase Act of 1890, or SPA, as I call it, uh, was passed uh, by Congress to supplement the Bland-Allison Act of 1878, 
1878, and it required the government to buy twice as much silver as was required previously and to add to the amount that was already in circulation. So because economics, the price of silver took a dive and, you know, silver plumes boom era ended. Fun detour, drilling holes by hand was, was called single jacking or double jacking, depending on whether the miner worked by himself, by themselves or with a partner. The technique was named for the Cornish miners who moved to the to moved who moved to Silver Plume when the tin mining industry in Cornwall crashed. Among the Cornish, Jack was the most common nickname, and you know, one thing led to another, and that's where we got the name Jackhammer from. You know, the more you know. When silver mining declined after 1893 to be, to be replaced briefly by lead mining to support uh, WW1, silver plume began to starve a little bit, except for a little bit of tourism brought on by the Argentina C Central Railroad and the first passenger tramway in the nation. The Sunrise Peak Aerial Tramway began operation in 1907 with 26 gondola cars that carried sightseers 2,000 feet up Pendleton Mountain and some help from commercial skiing after World War II. Keith Reinhardt was a sports writer for the Daily Herald newspaper in Chicago, Illinois. He had come to a point in his life where he wanted a change. He grew his hair out, he let his beard grow a little bit, and he'd asked for a three-month sabbatical from work. Keith called up his friend, Ted Parker, who ran a cafe, cafe in Silver Plume. According to Ted, Keith wanted to try running an antique store geared toward summer tourists. If it was successful, he hoped that him and his wife, Carolyn, would relocate there permanently. Keith and Ted had grown up across, from, across the street from each other and had known each other for about 40 years. Ted felt that um, their relationship was similar, similar to that of brothers. According to Ted, Keith was anxious but excited about turning 50. He had come to Silver Plume to finish out the last of his 40s and, and in a way that he wanted to. And that's verified by his son, Kai, who said that his dad thought he was getting old, so he wanted to enjoy the last years of his younger life without having any regrets. He also wanted to do certain things in his life before he became too old to do them. I can respect that. Take everything you've learned, you've, you've got skills, you've harnessed, and, you know, traits that you've molded, just go out to see if that knowledge can lead to your idea of success. Keith also bought a computer and took it with him to write a novel. His antique store was located on Main Street across, from the, across the street from Ted's Cafe. Keith soon learned about um, the building that he occupied. It uh, was a, used to be a bookstore owned by name Wow owned by a man named Tom Young, who had vanished nine months earlier on September 7th in 87. Keith became obsessed with Tom's disappearance. He began talking to everyone in town about it, which probably wasn't, probably was easy. And I'm sure word got around quick that Keith was asking about Tom. He decided to base the novel that he was going to write on Tom. He created a character named Guy Gypsum, who was a composite of himself a little bit and Tom. His daughter, Tiffany, recalled that he was very interested in Tom's disappearance. She, uh, he said he talked about it all the time. She noted that writers like to live their story. 
that they're writing about, um, you know, and get a feel of it so that it's easier for them to bring it to life. She speculated that he ha- may have wanted to feel that it, what it was like to disappear so that he could write about it. After some time in Silver Plume, it seemed hard for Keith to tell the difference between himself and Tom. On August 27, 1988, less than two weeks after Tom's body was found, Keith closed up his store around 2.30 p.m., although it was the afternoon he was walking through Silver Plume and told several residents that he was going to climb to the top to the nearby Pendleton Mountain. I mean, he went around and seemed to make it a point to tell everyone he could. Most didn't take him uh, seriously, though, knowing that he had a fear of heights and didn't he didn't like climbing by himself. At 4 p.m., he went to Ted's cafe and also bragged to him that he was going to make it to the top of the mountain. But he also said that if he didn't come back, he should call on the rescue, air quotes. He said goodbye and left. Ted was another of the many people in town that just blew him off. Ted was last seen walking toward Pendleton Mountain. It was about 4.30 in the evening, much too late to begin a crazy hike that would normally take six hours. He had no jacket and was only seen wearing a flannel shirt and had no supplies. He was as about as prepared as the NFL is to be without Tom Brady. He did not come back that night. The next day, helicopters were called out to search the mountain. On the ground, more than 125 men and a dozen trained dogs combed the difficult terrain for a week. Searchers felt like it was the proverbial needle in a haystack, with the mountainside being 3,000 vertical feet of a 60-degree slope. It was so steep it was charging admission. It was about as difficult terrain as they had ever covered. They were also at a disadvantage because Keith had gone into the mountains wearing just blue jeans, a flannel shirt, and tennis shoes. And because he had no backpack or equipment for them to look for, there were just no clues. But even more mysterious, the search was called off when a plane that was used in aiding the search crashed into the mountain, killing one of the passengers. In 30 years of operation, the Colorado Alpine rescue teams had found every single person that they searched for. Not Keith. Friends later found a newspaper uh, clipping next to his computer in his cabin. The headline was Tom Young's Body Found. There was uh, some words still remaining on the computer. It was part of his unfinished novel. They said, Guy Gibson changed into hiking boots and donned a heavy flannel shirt. He understood Tom now and his motivation. Guy closed the door, then walked off towards the lush, shadowless Colorado fortress above. Could these cryptic cryptic words mean that Keith, like Tom, had decided to take his own life? Carolyn doesn't think that he would have considered suicide because he was a very optimistic and upbeat person. She said that advice that was given to him from given to her from him was always with a positive uh, mental attitude. With this type of personality, she felt that he would have not committed suicide. And Keith wouldn't just walk away from his life either. He loved the people in his life and loved keeping in touch with them. She doesn't believe that he would have, you know, left that all behind. However, she hopes that if he is still alive, that they could work out whatever reasons he had for running off. Realistically, though, she has prepared herself for the possibility that he is no longer alive.
I think that's the healthy choice. Another theory suggests that neither Keith nor Tom committed suicide, but instead were victims of foul play. First, ballistics couldn't ever prove that the bullet that killed Tom came from his own gun. Second, both rented the same exact place to run their shops, so they both might have uncovered some information that someone didn't want them to see. Tiffany believes that um, foul, foul play was definitely involved and that Keith had stumbled upon something. I don't, nobody knows what, but Kai doesn't believe that they'll find out the truth until Keith or his body is found. A final theory was that Keith was, Keith had planned his own disappearance. Carol, Carolyn doesn't think that he would have, have left at 4 p.m. for such a long distance hike without, uh, um, with that far of destination in mind. And at that time of day, she doesn't believe that he would have, have, you know, gone for a walk. He would have gone for a walk, you know, as far as he felt comfortable and then just turned around and come back. You know, with a few others, he thought it was weird that he didn't take any of his cameras with him. He always, ha he always had at least one of them when he went on a walk. Police noted that Keith was possibly having a midlife, midlife crisis, which that kind of seems the case with the sudden life change. And then he got frustrated that he couldn't get his antique store off the ground like he expected. And the fact that he had told so many people that he was going on a hike. Would that be borderline manic behavior? There aren't, there aren't sure why he made it the point to tell so many people. It also didn't make sense why he would climb to the top of the mountain by himself when he was known to have vertigo and a fear of heights. It just doesn't make sense. Kinda how only one of the Spice Girls was named after a spice. It was, it was Ginger. Ginger was the only spice in the Spice Girls and only good with added sugar. But they noted that Tom left a false trail surrounding his disappearance. They wonder if Keith, Keith Reinhardt did the same thing. Have you ever thought of wiping your existence from the earth and starting fresh somewhere new? Whether you hate your wife, your job, your kids, it's a thought we've all entertained at some point in our lives. According to Statista, 453,000 missing person cases were filed in the United States in 2020. This was a lower number compared to the 609,000 cases that were reported the previous year. A majority of these cases involved adults who walked away from their lives for one reason or another. While some people re reappeared over time, some ended up meeting their gruesome death. And some chose to wipe their slate clean and start a new life anonymously somewhere else. But is it legal to up and leave your life? Does the, life, does the law allow a person to disappear without a trace? While there is no right to disappear mentioned in the Constitution, there is also no law in the United States that expressively, expressively forbids one from walking away from their lives, as long as there's, there's, no, um, there's not breaking you know, any laws. In police talk, they refer to this as malicious missing who, for you know whatever reason, decide they just don't want to be found. Like Mike Myers. His characters are kind of irrelevant for this generation. But I challenge, challenge Mike Myers to create a new, memorable character for this generation that will live forever. In some people's minds, like the way Wayne from Wayne's World or maybe Austin Powers does for you, 
Yeah, baby. He won't hear this, but if you know him, and some who vanish voluntarily are sometimes fleeing intolerable conditions like uh, domestic abuse. Some have mental health issues, while others just want to want to start fresh somewhere. Others fake their own abductions, often in a bid for sympathy and attention. Uh, deciding to leave both created a moment of calm and clarity, as well as short-term mental and physical relief for Jack at 27, who said it was instant relief from the hassle and the stress and the nerves. So just the thought of being able to start fresh is seen as liberating, as many adults described how the actual act of leaving bought a sense of freedom. A distinction can be drawn from between considering going absent as a possible alternative to the current situation, but not acting upon it and physically leaving. So the thought of leaving and physically going seems to go hand in hand, and one subject described how Always in the back of my mind, I wanted to, I wanted a way, but to actually go and physically do it was probably a two or three hour decision. This is reminiscent of how Tom Young and Keith Reinhardt just walked out on their lives. The majority of the missing, about 53%, said the decision to physically leave was made in the heat of the moment. Lost Souls will probably never find out why Gus and his owner Tom Young walked out into the Rocky Mountains and perished, and why Keith Reinhardt also walked out into the Rocky Mountains and vanished. From a compilation of stats from the National Crime Information Center's Missing Persons and Unidentified Person Files for 2021, there were 521,000 initial person uh, reports filed with a large majority of 485,082 being resolved one way or another. But that still leaves a remainder of 36,623 people unaccounted for. I'm glad someone else is I'm glad someone is keeping up with this. And even with that with all the technology we have that can track us, record us, still and share our information an even scarier number of 8,200 bodies went unclaimed in all of the morgues and hospitals across America that same year. I can't help but think how many of those were our missing. And with that, I'm going to leave you with some words from Keith Reinhardt that his son Kai had inscribed on a plaque that now sits on a rock on the mountains where Keith and Tom went missing. Oh God, I want to wonder, I want to wonder till I die, with the mountains as my living room, my only roof, the sky. <laughs>